0: Chapter 13, John's Gospel, begins now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper now being ended, the devil having put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from the supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that he had poured water in a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh He to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands, my head. And Jesus said unto him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. And you know, I wonder if Judas... What he's thinking, sitting at the table listening to that. You are not, and Jesus had just washed his feet. I wonder if, uh, I wonder what Judas, what goes to his heart. Was it, was there anything or was his heart so hard? But he hears the Lord say that. We come to this section, uh, chapters 13 through 17. It's the upper room, the last things that Jesus has to say to his disciples, his last instructions. It is them alone. Um, And he is reiterating things. He's opening up new things to them. An incredible detail. John, you know, he's over 90 years old as he puts his quill to the page and he's writing this. And he had written in chapter 16 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll bring all things to remembrance. So I don't think it's just at 90 years old, John's you know, brain was that sharp. I think no doubt the Holy Spirit was putting to the page, reminding John the things that he wanted us to see and to hear. Scholars say the amount of detail in chapters 13 to 17, if that amount of detail was given to the previous three and a half years of Christ's ministry, it would fill 15 Bibles from Genesis to Revelation. So so understand the detail we have here. It's peculiar to John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not have this section. So we have something here. Church has been born. Jerusalem's been destroyed. John is writing to the world, to us, to the Gentile world. And there are things here that the Lord begins to put in front of his disciples and obviously in front of us as we delve in. It says now... Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now the feast of Passover come, he loves them to the end. This is uh, the, the Passion Week. This would be Thursday. Evening, which to the Jew is the beginning of Friday, um, celebrating the Passover dinner, the 14th of Nisan. Uh, if you want to study these things, just for those who love to torture yourself, uh, William Hendrickson does a great breakdown of the days, the Passion Week, how it all worked out. And Honor's chronology. Honer has a chronology just of the life of Christ. And he does a great job breaking down the days how this all rolled out, uh, so my belief, fourteenth of Nisan, Jesus crucified on the fifteenth rises on the seventeenth. Some try to put this dinner on Wednesday night, some try to put it because they want to get three days and three nights. Jesus. It said three days and three nights, and it's like Jonah, three days and three nights in the heart of the whale. So Jesus, he can't have been crucified on Friday and raised on Sunday. That's only 48 hours. That's only two days. Now, understand that in the Jewish mind, it's, it's like if you go to your lawyer, he bills you for the day, no matter how many hours you spent there. And to the Jew, whatever part of a day it touched, it was considered part of that day. So, and but besides that, it doesn't say Jesus rose after three days. It says on the third day, which is two and a half days into the process. So I believe here we see him at the Last Supper. Friday, he's crucified. Saturday, he's in the tomb. Sunday, through the history of the church, universally, Resurrection Day, the first day of the week. So he's gathered with his disciples here. It says he knew that his hour was at hand. He understands that he's on a divine timetable. Chapters 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, he had been speaking about his hour. The, the first three of those, his hour had not yet come, the first four. Now it says that he knew, Oida, he knows perfectly that his hour was come And it's not speaking about 60 minutes in a day. It's the hour of the cross, of his death, of his resurrection. The time now had come. Uh, and this is the evening before he's taken. He'll go from here to Gethsemane, then into the hands of Caiaphas and Annas and Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate and so forth. So, uh, these last things, I'm always interested in the last things that people have to say. You know, even when you study them through the Bible, they're remarkable, but they're the last things that Jacob or Moses or Joshua, the last things they have to say before they die. These are the last things that Jesus has to say before it says he's transitioned to another kingdom. He doesn't die, and he's going to finish talking to everybody when we get there. So he's not done. It says, but he knew his hour was come, that he should depart, that's our word, transition, out of this present world. He, this is the time. This is the hour. And what he's going to do is he's going to step out of this world into another world. He's going to make that transition. It says here, knowing he came from God, he's going back to God. He knows this is the hour. The divine timetable has laid it out. They couldn't have killed him before this. He had to die on the Passover. So here now, he understands the hour has come. He's looking at these guys. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. Um, He's thinking of the things they're going to go through, no doubt. And you read a great little book in Search of the Twelve Apostles. It, It tells you how they were martyred. It tells you biblically what we have, church tradition from the church fathers, what we have, it just how each of them, the Lord knew all of them. John would live to be an old man. He, he was sentenced to the long martyrdom of an old age, but the rest of them terribly martyred. And Jesus, in his resurrection, would minister to them in regards to that. But you think of him sitting at the table here, looking at these guys, knowing who they were. John writes at the end that, You know, what if he endures till I come? Peter's, you know, what about, you know, what's going to happen? And and John says, he didn't say this, that John would never die. Jesus here knew John would be the last of them. He's the last one alive. All the other voices of the 11, Judas would commit suicide. All the other voices of the 11 have been silenced by time and by death, by martyrdom. And there's one still writing, still speaking, that's John. And he says, he knew it was time for him to depart out of this world unto the Father. John tells us, having loved, you can circle in your Bible, his own, because you are, the Bible tells us, one of his own. Having loved his own which were in the world, that's us, He loved them unto the end. Tell us. Um, Your translation might say, unto the uttermost, that gives us a more interesting idea. Telos is something working out to completion. The idea is Jesus loved them to the end. He loved them to the point that no love can go beyond where he loved them. He loves us if he's divine. Charles and Spurgeon said he's divine, he's holy. There's deity, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, and his love then abides that way in every generation. It doesn't change. He loved that way before the incarnation, he loved that way during the incarnation, he loves that way today. You and I are his own today, and he's also loving us to the end, to the completion. There's a love that he's extended to us that is boundless, it is immeasurable. It goes somewhere, but it continues when it gets there. So here we are this morning, you know, 2,000 years later, listening to what happened that morning, John telling us there that he loved us. He loved his own. And, he, you know, certainly to Jesus, that's Mary Magdalene. That's You go through the list of other people that were not in the room. He loved his own, which were in the world, and he loved them unto the end... And supper being ended, <clears throat> the devil, having now put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, it's a perfect tense, he had put it there, it was still there, indicates the devil had been doing this beforehand, working in the heart of Judas. But he found an accomplice there. It wasn't Judas wasn't a victim where the devil just put can sometimes mean through, where he just cast something into his heart. We know there are fiery darts that are cast at us. It isn't just that the devil cast it into his heart against his will and poor Judas then became a victim. That's not at all what it's saying. There's a perfect tense here. He was working in the life of Judas before this supper. Judas had already gone to the priest. Judas had already figured out how he would betray him and was talking to the priest about that. Judas hadn't known where the upper room was. Peter and John, James, they made preparations. Jesus said, you're going to, be to see someone carrying a pitcher, a man. Follow that man. He's going to take you into his home, show you a large upper room. Go there. Make ready the Passover so we can eat the Passover together. Judas didn't know where that location was until they gathered, so he couldn't tell anybody. So it's not till Christ goes to Gethsemane afterwards that the Romans and the temple police come and take him. Supper being ended, the devil having now having put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus knowing, Aida, there's a spiritual knowledge. Again, it's a perfect tense. Having known, still knowing. Jesus, there there isn't anything he knows, Judas is there. He knows the cross is ahead of him. He's going to talk about it. You go through these chapters, from 13 to 17, you read the things that are there. You realize he knows. He knows all things. And it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. He could not have known all things unless he was omniscient. He knew the Father had given all things into his hands. You know what all things mean? All things. That's has kind got of, you guys read Greek. That's, that's really important. All things. The present situation, the future, eternity, heaven, hell, the cosmos, the creation, you know, the angels. He, all things. Matthew, at the end of his gospel, he could say, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Jesus knows that here, he says. And what are you going to do? He's going to wash their feet. All things are given into his hands. And what he chooses to pick up is a towel. What we have here is the creator washing the creation like a slave. He knows that the father had given all things into his hands. Look, if you knew that God had given you all things, all power, all authority, all dominion, would it change you? Would you get a sweatshirt that says, guess what? <laughs> you know, would you get a calling card? You know, how would you act? How would you change? And you see, it's important because Luke 22 tells us during this Last Supper, the disciples had gotten into an argument about who was going to be the greatest. Jesus said, "You know, that's how the Gentiles, they roll over one one another that way, but you, the greatest among you, shall become servant of all." And of course, that's who he was. He was the greatest. So with that background, he understands, he knows all the betrayer is there. He understands the guys are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They don't get it. He knows that everything has been put into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He understands his origin and his destiny. And the way this is written in the language, he participated. He willingly came from God, and he was willingly going back to God. Certainly God and his sovereignty was part of that. But Jesus participates in this. It isn't something that happened against his will. He was part of it. And then John in verses 4 and 5 starts to do something. And I think it's important for us to see. You know, here's this 90-year-old guy. Some feel he wrote the gospel. I think maybe he did after Revelation. When he got back to Ephesus where he was an elder. Either way, John at this point understands who Jesus is. He's been with him in his resurrection. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Been taught by him 40 days. Watched him ascend into heaven you know, John knows who he is, and he's the last eyewitness. And he's writing to the church, to us, and he knows that. And in verses 4 and 5, everything kind of changes to the present tense. And, and John kind of says it this way. You know, he, he, he understood all things were given into his hand. He, he, he understood that he had come forth from God, that he was returning to God, And then he changes to the present tense, and he stands up. John's watching it again. He stands up, and and he takes off his garment. And and he girds himself with a a cloth, and and, and he, he takes a towel in his hands. And he takes a basin and starts to fill it with water. Then he starts to wash our feet. It's all present. It's all happening in front of him as he's recounting the record. Recounting the record. Just, it's hard for you. You, you know, imagine going over someone's house for dinner for Christmas or Thanksgiving and them washing your feet as you came. You know, that's very uncomfortable would be for me. You know, look, foot washing is not mandated in the law or in the New Testament. It was a courtesy. Because people would come to your home, if there was mud, if there was dust, everybody had sandals. Nobody had Reeboks. Nobody knew what they were doing. And they would come to your house, and when they got there, there was always a basin of water and another bowl by the door where they could wash your feet and then wipe it off with a cloth, and then you would go kind of lay at the table, the triclinium, where you would eat. John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to unloose the sandals of the one. I'm not worthy worthy to be the slave in the house. Jewish tradition said it shouldn't even be a Jewish slave. There should only be a Gentile slave that does this in your home because it is so demeaning. It, It was someone having the lowest place in the household. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a foot washing. Sadly, I have. (laughs) I'm not against them, don't get me wrong. Uh, Kathy and I, Pentecostal church, uh, years ago we were moving from San Diego up to Portland. And they decided on a Sunday night without telling us they were going to wash our feet. And when that happens to you and they start taking off your shoes and socks and everybody's sitting in there, you kind of wish you had washed your own feet before you got there. You know, change your socks, put some powder in your sneakers or something, you know. But to tell you the truth, it was very uncomfortable. But it was, it was, well, you know, it was heartfelt. It was very, we understood. But in the New Testament, if you see Jesus doing something in the gospel... You see it being practiced in the book of Acts. You see it reiterated and and described in the epistles. Then you have church, faith, and practice. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Nowhere in the book of Acts. In the epistles, Paul mentions the widows that should come under the church's care, says, having washed the feet of the saints. The idea is they serve the church. But there's nowhere in the New Testament where foot washing is mandated. Aren't you glad? Okay. Again, forgive me if you're listening somewhere, it can be done in a very well-meaning way. Don't you know. but, but here, there was no law in the Old Testament that said it had to happen. There was no rabbinic tradition that said it had to happen. It was a courtesy. It was a demonstration of hospitality. And all these guys had come in, they were all laying around the table with dirty feet, and none of them had taken the time to go get the bowl and the towel and to wash the feet of the disciples that were there. None of them did it. They argued about who would be the greatest. And John says, while that's happening, he gets up. They're probably all looking at him. What's he going to do? He stood up. He said, when we looked at him, he took off his garments. He girded himself, and, and let me say it the way he says it in the present tense. He stands up, takes off his garment. He, he girds himself. He, he's girding himself. He, he, he's taking a towel in his hand. He's pouring water into a basin. He's washing the feet of all of us. John is there in the room reliving it because where John is at this point, he realizes Jesus stooping to that position, humbling himself, there had been previous to that a much greater humiliation. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's not made against his will, it's literally the word Became flesh, and tented among us. We beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No man hath at any time seen God, but the Son of God has displayed him. John said. John tells us there was a greater act of humiliation before that. He had divested himself of his garments and glory. He had taken off, not given up divine prerogative or right but he had left a place unimaginable. Jesus in John 17, this night in this room when he prays, he said, Father, I will that they be with me where I am, that they might behold the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus wants his disciples. He said, Father, I want them to be there and to see. John understood. And he's writing, He, 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 he gets up. He he, he takes off his garment. He already had taken off his garments of glory to become a human being. The measurement between the glory of heaven and human skin was way greater than the measurement between sitting at the table and getting on his knees with a towel. And there would still be a greater humiliation in the future when he was on the cross and it says God would lay on him the iniquity of us all. Every lustful thought, of us all, every child pornographer, every murderer, every terrorist, every bit of prejudice and slander, every bit of uncleanness, every bit of addiction. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of God. That would be the ultimate humiliation. To the point where He would say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The separation. Here, he wants to teach them something. Over in verse 14, it's going to say, do you understand what I've done? Okay, so there's a great lesson here about us serving one another. We're headed into 2023. We should serve one another. We should serve one another even if we know the person we're serving doesn't understand. Peter says, no way, you ain't washing my feet. He said, Peter, you understand how many times we want to do something for someone and they don't even appreciate it. Sometimes we do something for somebody who's actually a traitor. He's going to tell them, I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. He doesn't hesitate at all because he's going to say, Peter, you understand what I'm doing now, but you're going to understand later. So God is content to work in our lives today. Us not even understanding, because he knows in the future the light's going to go on. Right? How many times have you and I been through a difficult situation? We've griped, we've complained. Then we get to the other side, and hindsight is 2020. Then we're going, duh, forgive me, Lord. I griped all the way through that, didn't I? Yes. You know. Uh so, so here, he's, he's, this is a figure, you know, he, he, the washing of feet now. He, there was the figure of drinking of water, the woman of Samaria. There was the figure of him being the bread of life, wasn't actually bread. There's a figure now in the washing of feet of serving, but the, the figure broadens. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands... And that he was come from God and went to God, his origin, his destiny. He riseth, he's rising from supper. He's laying aside his garments. He's taking up this towel and he's girding himself. And he's pouring water into this basin. And he begins to wash our feet and wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Interesting answer to who was the greatest there. Paul would say this, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a slave and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's interesting. Let this mind be in you. It's a present imperative. You've got to let this happen. You've got to let this mind be in you. And it's a middle voice. You participate in this. You've got to let this sink in. And he's putting the the move, the film, right in front of them at this time. Here he is, the master. What was it like for any of them when he took their feet and began to wash their feet and to wipe the dirt off? It, the impression it was made, here it is over 60 years later. It's burning in, in John's mind when he thinks of who he was. He knows so better now. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. It tells us. <clears throat> then cometh he to Simon. So he's doing all the twelve, the disciples, plural. When he comes around to Simon, we're not told the seating arrangement here exactly. When he cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter says to him, is saying to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? It's like, Lord, you've got to be kidding. You, you're, it's you washing my feet. It should be me washing your feet. That's kind of what's in there. And Peter is completely genuine. You have to understand, we might feel exactly the same way. And none of the guys had get up and done it. And maybe, you know, maybe Peter's thinking, no, you're not gonna, this ain't gonna happen. You're not gonna, and, and these I understand the seven you washed before me, they should have said what I'm saying now. Lord, you ain't doing this to me. Peter was always trying to arrange Jesus'. Endeavors. And he's probably expecting to hear from Jesus when he says his flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, Simon Bar-Jonah, but my father, which is in heaven. Because there, when then Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. Peter began to rebuke him and said, far be it from you, Lord. Peter decides, I'm going to steer this away from the cross. Then when the amount of transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, Moses, and Elijah appears, and Mark tells us, who was Peter's disciple, that Peter knew, he didn't know what to say, which is unusual for him. So he says, it's a good thing we're here. (laughs) Peter here saying, no, no, there's no way you're going to wash my feet, ain't going to happen. Look, it's important because he's going to say, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. There's no participation with me. You have no share in what I'm doing if I don't do this. And he says it. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do... What I'm doing, present tense, thou knowest not now. But you shall know hereafter. In other words, there's a deeper meaning. He is setting an example for them, and we'll talk about that. But there's something deeper that's going on. He says, you shall know hereafter. And John uses one of his favorite phrases, metatauta, hereafter. After these things you're going to understand what was the year after. Certainly they understood different things after the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. Certainly they knew different things after this conversation. But he, he says to a mere Simon, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm doing. But you're going to know after these things. And Peter then says to him, Lord, Thou shalt never, which proves he doesn't understand. Thou shalt never wash my feet. It's the double negative, oh, me. may. Look, he says, Lord, and you can't say to him, to the Lord, to Jesus, you ain't never. How do you say that to the Lord? He, he, Jesus, uh, Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never, ever, no way, wash my feet. It ain't going to happen. And Jesus answered him and said, "If I wash thee not, Peter, if you don't let me do this, thou hast no part with me. You you have perfect tense. You're not ever going to have a part, a partnership. A you know, you're never going to have this share in what I'm doing. You're not going to participate. You're you're going to be excluded." And then, of course, Peter hears that, and we expect Peter to do this. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, my hands, my head, you know, just give me the whole deal. And then Jesus answers him, and he says, he that is washed. Now, he uses a different word there than the washing in other places here. This is the word that means to be bathed. It means to be cleansed fully, to have the body bathed. The other place you use in the word wash, Jesus uses it when he talks about those eating with unwashed hands. You don't come to my house without washing your hands. Not my rule. Uh, you know, just the, the, there's a difference between working, get your hands dirty, you have got to wash your hands, or going somewhere, sandals, get your feet dirty, and you wash your feet. That's not being bathed. All of these guys were bathed before they got there. It's not like they got to this upper room and they all had to take a bath before dinner. They were already bathed. It's a one-for-all bathing. It's never reproduced. In fact, it says, except for one, which makes us understand it's more than just physical bathing. Because Judas had certainly taken a bath. He had certainly done that. It's the feast before he comes. And he still says there's one here that hasn't done that. So he says, Peter, he that's bathed is in a situation where he only has to wash his feet. Because he's clean, goes out on the highways, byways, walks, and he gets the dirt of this world on his feet. And he said he needs to only have then his feet washed. He that is washed, bathed, needeth not except to wash his feet. But is clean every whit means completely holy. W H O holy all over that that person who is washed, bathed, perfect tense once and for all. Verse 10. That's how we know we're not talking about taking a bath, because there ain't nobody in this room took a bath who was clean from then on. You feel like letting some people know that sometimes, I understand. Uh, Whoever participates in this bathing, he says, doesn't need except to wash his feet. Whoever is washed, perfect tense, and remains washed this way, he doesn't need but to wash his feet. But he is clean, every whit, completely clean. And then he goes to the emphatic, and ye, you guys, you guys that are here, you guys are clean, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. So he comes to this passage of scripture and he says, look, there's a cleansing. And again, John, you know, he's telling us, look at this dinner, he, 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 we're arguing about who's going to be great. He gets down, he takes his robe off, he gets a towel, he starts to wash our feet. I, I sit here even today as a 90 year old man thinking this was Jehovah. This was the Lord of glory. And he washed our feet. And he says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you're going to understand. And he said, when I look back, it just it blows my mind. It's how he started that night. Then he's going to talk to us about following his example. Then he's going to talk to us about loving one another the way he's loved. And then he's going to tell us that there's. You know, things in glory in heaven that are gonna happen, but he's not gonna leave us to do those things ourselves. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit's gonna come, and then if we abide in him, we're gonna bear much fruit. We can't do that without the Spirit who's gonna make all things known, convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment to come. He takes there's this whole kind of flow to this. And it begins with this foot washing, remarkably. And John says, we saw, we heard it. And and then Jesus said, you don't know what I'm doing. Well, they knew he was washing feet. He was doing something else. And he says to Peter, you know, someone who is washed permanently, never needs to be washed again. That individual at that point only needs to wash his feet. In their culture, they understood that. They walk on this dusty road. You and I have been washed. Bathed in the blood of Christ in regeneration. We've been made clean forever. The righteousness of God has been put upon us and Christ has taken our sin upon him. He who knew no sin was made sin that we might be the righteousness of God. There's been a transference. Everything was taken out of your debit column put on him. Everything was taken out of his plus column put on us. When God the Father looks down at you and I, he sees us in the beauty and in the glory and in the holiness and in the grace of his Son. Because we have received that washing that never needs to be repeated. Right? Anybody with me? Okay. Now, there's two mistakes that people often make here. When you hear that, he died once and for all. On the cross, he said, it isn't finished. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, well, it's finished except for that guy. No, paid in full to tell us, it is finished. He doesn't have a mortgage on us. It was done. He paid the price. So the one mistake Christians can make, if they're Christians... Sometimes there's tears among the wheat, but one mistake we can make is thinking, hey, once and for all. You know, uh, died for me, uh, I never have to worry about it again. I can do what I want now, once saved, always saved. Uh, I have John Calvin's picture in my room, and now I don't have to worry about nothing. That's an error, and that leads to a liberty that can be defiling. On the other side of this truth is the Christian, and many times the new Christian, who comes. They're so amazed that Jesus died for them. It, it blows. I remember my first was going to say, he, he did, why did he die for me? He loves me. blew my mind. And then as you go on in your experience, you find, wait a minute. I didn't know that was still there. Whether it's lust or anger, or selfishness. You start to discover there's still unchrist-like things in your life. And then what the, the believers not grounded will do, then they come forward another oracle. They reconsecrate their consecration. They recommit their commitment because they think, I must not really have been saved. Yeah, yeah, you were. You're washed once and for all. The problem is you go out there every day into this world and the muck and the mire and the dust of this world gets on you and gets on me, whether it be Pictures we shouldn't look at, whether it be somebody cutting out in, in traffic, whether it be slander we shouldn't have listened to, whether it be selfishness that we're concerned with, you know, whether it be anger that we shouldn't have demonstrated. We, by the time we're done being out there for a full day, we need to come back and put our feet in the hands of the Savior again. And it is not demeaning for him to do that. He says, if you don't do that, you have no share with me, you have no participation with me. John will say if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, faithful, faithful and just to forgive us and then to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, to catharize us. Anybody in this room who's ever been catharized, we'll only talk about it for a second, forgive me. But, you know, the, 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 they, they give you a way to drain poison from your body that you would not be able to drain by yourself. Who, if we confess, homilegeia, we say the same thing. Lord, this is wrong. I should have been doing it. Confess. He's faithful and he's just because he paid on the cross. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to catharize us from all unrighteousness. Paul will say, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Greek says all have sinned and continually come short of the glory of God. John will tell us in his first epistle that the blood of Christ continually cleanseth us from sin. So there is a one-time washing, perfect, that you're bathed. You've been bathed in this fountain of blood, this fountain of life, this fountain of righteousness. You're bathed. Through the work of Christ. In your walk, we're still pilgrims in this world. We make mistakes. There's only one set of feet that were never spoiled, defiled by this world. And they ended up with nails driven through them. But He's our example. We still have a traitor that lives within. He didn't. There's still something in you and I that's attractive to all of those things that we shouldn't be involved in or think about. There's always a part where our mind wants to go where we think nobody sees it. So I can do this. I can play this internal game. And we feed that and think there's no problem. Well, well, there is. It's, It's feeding the part of us. That should be dead to sin, and we should not let it rain. It's there, the Bible admits that. So he says here, Jesus says, look, Peter, you want you to wash your head, wash your hands, wash We want. He said, even in your culture, you understand this in life. Someone who's taken a bath, someone who's bathed, he's clean. He doesn't need to do every, he's every whit clean, holy, completely clean. Bass never do that, but he's making it a picture. And he has only then to wash, different word for wash, wash his feet. This one who came down from heaven, who got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, wants you and I to know today that we are completely clean because of what he's done on the cross you can't earn it you you can't earn it you don't deserve it you'll never be worthy of it you either accept it as a free gift or you never enjoy it either get out of the boat walk on the water or you're never going to realize he has given us what we don't deserve he bore my sin on the cross you know we go to israel i always think when i'm sitting looking at calvary i'm always thinking all of my sin Next week, not just the things I've already done, the things I'm going to do. All of my sins were there on him 2,000 years ago. All of them. The babies, some of you are in your third trimester. Those babies are going to be sinners. They're cute little sinners, but that's what they're going to be. And all of their sins that they haven't committed yet were paid for 2,000 years ago. And if we come to Christ in faith, we're bathed. We're completely clean. A bathing that only needs to happen once and never be repeated. What needs to be done daily is confession. Lord, I thought this. Lord, I messed up. I got caught up in this. I fell. Lord, pride is just eating me a lot. Lord, I'm so stupid. Whatever. All those things are probably true. <clears throat> and And we come to him and he washes our feet. He cleanses us. You know, for Israel, it was the the sacrifice of the Lamb every morning and every evening. Every day began with the blood of the Lamb, every day ended with the blood of the Lamb. So for you and I, we, we have to embrace that. It's hard for us to embrace that someone l- loves us freely, but it says here he loved them, his own, to the uttermost, beyond where we can measure. That's where his love goes, beyond any love that we understand, there's no limit to it. Tell us, it fulfills its function, it goes out to the end. That's how he loves us here today. And it was not demeaning for him to get down and wash the disciples' feet because that figure was going to be passed down through the centuries to us today. He knew, it says here, he knew all things, that you and I would look at this and grind over it in our machinations so we would think about it. And Lord, that's amazing. And John puts the picture. He, he does this. He stands up. He he takes off his garments. He girds himself. He takes a towel. He pours water. He starts washing our feet. He puts the picture in front of us. And Jesus says to Peter, you're not going to understand now, but after this, you'll you'll understand. But Peter, I didn't need to wash your hands. Wash your head. I, you know. Everyone who is bathed once and for all needs not except to wash his feet. He says, but is clean, the one who's bathed, is wholly clean, perfectly clean, is clean in every way, every wit. And you, emphatic, you, you, you for self. Yeah, yeah, you who's sitting there, not me. Yeah, yeah, you, it's emphatic. Yeah, you who think, yeah, this is for everybody else in the room. It's not for me. No, no. This is emphatic from Jesus. You. Yeah, you. Are clean. You're catharized. He says, but not all. Which tells us this cleansing is not just a physical bath, because certainly Judas had bathed himself before he came. There's another picture here. On top of the picture, the example of Of serving one another. For he knew who should betray him, and therefore said he, You are not all clean. He said, Once you're bathed, you're all clean, you're completely clean. He says, But not all of you. It brings us to Judas. John mentions him eight times more than any other gospels and really gives us an interesting picture as we move forward. But he begins with this picture. I would say 2023. Never mind. We'll say it next week. Serve one another. Be involved in confession every day. Adore the one who would bow down and wash your feet. And know at the end of every day, you can put your feet in his hands. He doesn't stand back and say, No, not me. It's what he does, it's who he is. And daily, will help you to wash your feet and to get your walk straightened out to get back on the right path again amen Amen. let's stand up i could have just talked about jesus for an hour i didn't realize what time it was announcements were too long (laughs) father we thank you for the privilege to gather thank you for your word let it be real to us speak to our hearts encourage us lord Uh, we we look to you and lord so many of these things we believe them it comes out of our mouth and then and when we get in personal conflict, it's hard for us. no one's ever loved you the way, loved us the way you love us, Lord. And even that, Lord, we receive it by faith, Lord. Your word, Lord, makes it alive to us. Your spirit affirms it. So Lord, let us this year be more confident than we have ever been in your completed work and your daily ministration to us. We pray in your name. Amen.